This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. I just drink wine. Well, hello and welcome to The Wine Situation, Season 5, Episode 4. Could this be the joyous edition of the show? It might be. I mean, not only did the Dodgers win the World Series uh, last week, but uh, I mean, it'll be like a couple of weeks ago by the time you hear this, but oh my god, you guys. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, I mean, at least as of now, unless some sort of hell breaks out and uh, Trump secretly has... I, I, I don't even want to contemplate what he could try and do, but it looks like Biden and oh, Harris, a woman, a woman in the White House, it looks like they have won things. I mean, it's been declared that they won. I'm just like, you know, I'm nervous about Trump leaving. But anyway, this could actually be a happy addition after all this whole season, this whole year. Jeez, you guys. Um, oh, before I go any further, the wine situation, what is it? Well, you know, it's there's a fucking pandemic right now. And uh, this is a show where I, L. Clifford, or Ellen Clifford, or L. Clifford, or Ellen, L, like the letter L, but spelled E-L-L-E. Anyway, um, you know, I, I talk to you about wine. We taste some wine together. I hopefully make you laugh about wine. Sometimes I talk about food things. And, you know, the situation is there's a pandemic, as I said, and I am here to be your virtual drinking buddy slash, you know, uplift you. <laughs> entertain you, educate you, uh, yeah, educate, entertain. I was trying to think if there's a third E in there, but the third E, I guess, is just me, L. And uh, what is this podcast about, really? Well, it's all about segments and tangents, uh, but also gothy things and also, you know, wine and me. That's it. This feels really disjointed. I don't know why I should not feel disjointed beginning this. I've, I feel like I've said that a lot recently, beginning podcasts. And, you know, uh, maybe it's been a little bit more than a week since I recorded one. Wait, did I take a week off? No, I didn't. I don't know. I should be ready for this, you guys. I did my usual pre-podcast uh, recording routine, which included drinking a lot of uh, well, in this case, not so much water because I'm not supposed to, it's a long story, but if you, if you've been listening, you know, I'm not supposed to drink too much water, but you know, I made sure I was well hydrated. I, uh, I washed my feet. <laughs> I, I cut my nails. I stretched. I'm ready to do. Okay. Maybe I am ready to do this podcast. Uh, how are you? Uh, tell me how you're doing. Please do. Uh, like I said, there's a pandemic going on, so that's not good, but you know, for people that I think would enjoy this show, the election results are, are looking favorable. For people who like the Dodgers, they're probably still feeling good. For my fellow Cardinals fans, I know we didn't make it this year, but and please forgive me for being a person who still cheers on the Dodgers, but um, I've been in LA going on, what, like 14 years now? I don't know. I'm old enough that I'm losing track of time. But anyway, you know, they got the blue going, and now... Uh, now we're here to keep celebrating blue in our lives in many ways, which I'll discuss as we, as we go on. I would love, here's a specific question. Normally I'm just like, tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're up to. My specific request this week, please, for the love of anything, message me on the Instagram at the wine situation or at Ellen Clifford, or if you have my text number, you can feel free to just text me and tell me my text, my text number. If you have my phone number, <laughs> you can text me or Instagram. You know, there's 500 ways for us to talk to each other these days. Find me on one of them and tell me what you drank to celebrate our new president elect and our vice president elect, who I'm still crying happy tears over. I personally i i just had a feeling that things were going to be okay with this so i actually opened my sparkling rosé i was the saper ode uh it's a sparkling um rosé out of napa that i got from eve bottle shop nathaniel munoz former uh drunk dial guest of the show his shop he, he guided me towards that and 
it was like Friday night and we were like, oh, they haven't called it yet. But I was like, just like, you know what? I'm opening these bubbles. I bought for it anyway, because I feel good about it. Um, but I want to know what you drank specifically to celebrate. And if you were not celebrating this win, A, sorry if, uh, if maybe this is a podcast about wine and I'm not supposed to get political, but let's be real. This is a podcast about a lot of stuff, including goth, goth things. But, um, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to be listening to if you weren't celebrating. I'm recording this Sunday night. The news came Saturday morning. I know a lot of people, I waited till later to start doing more celebrating, but trust me, I did more celebrating. Okay, let's just get on with the agenda, okay? So we are going to have an election win appropriate happy cocktail hour in which I tell you about a cocktail. Then we are going to introduce and taste a wine made by a woman. That's what we do here on the podcast. Oh, well, I guess this season we're not just doing women winemakers. We're also what might include cisgendered males if they're like, you know, not white dudes. Um, We're also just might have some wines that just feel really gothy. Um, I hope that's not me being a sellout. I just, I wanted those three categories of things to be included in the wines I taste. Uh, Once we get done talking about and tasting the wine, then we'll have it on the food side. And then I have a really fun drunk dial, which once again, I recorded this like on an afternoon, in an afternoon. I was not actually drunk, but I was actually not too nervous because I've already, so I, I called John Taylor of the Pairs with Life podcast. But uh, I actually felt pretty comfortable because you guys really should go find the episode I did of his show in which we paired classic goth songs with wines because it was a lot of fun and I had a lot of fun talking to him. So I was pretty happy to get him to be a guest on the pod. Wow, we're a mere seven (laughs) minutes in and like ready to just get into this agenda get into the agenda, we're going to get into the wine, we'll have the food, we'll have, and then we'll, I'll send you on your merry, merry way, which hopefully is a little bit merrier, because hopefully by now you have opened something delicious to drink. You guys, I don't care if it's a fucking kombucha. I just want you to sip. I don't care if water is your jam. Uh, you know, just drink something that pleases you while you listen to this, because, you know, A, uh, I like hydration. I like beverages. Actually, I pretty much am like a flavored beverage aficionado, but also a water aficionado. Like I wouldn't mind doing a whole episode in which I tasted different bottles of water. That that sounds fun to me. Maybe not as fun as wine, but fun. Look at me tangenting already, and we haven't even really got into the first segment. I really should have waited for the segment to have a tangent, but what are you going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to be me. Okay. So, I don't know that I've actually ever made the cocktail for the Happy Cocktail Hour, although I might later tonight, and I almost did last night. Uh, The idea for this came to me because I was looking at Karen Newman, also former um, Drunk Dial guest of the show, Karen Newman, the spirits editor for Wine Enthusiast and author of numerous wonderful cocktail books that I adore, such as... um, nightcap or rogue soda or uh, shake, stir, sip. Uh, Karen Newman, she posted about drinking the drink, and it's a blue drink, appropriate for us Democratic uh, fans out there. Uh, It's a blue drink called, get this, (laughs) adios, motherfucker. That's right. Blue drink saying adios, motherfucker. Uh, bye-bye. Bye, Trump. I'm going to drink uh, this crazy, crazy drink. I don't think I've made it, you guys. I The thing about me is I've made, because uh, when I go through cocktail experimenting phases or testing a cookbook phases, I'll make so many drinks and not actually finish drinking them. And my thing is, I kind of want to make this just to see if I can even finish it without like falling over. Because there's a lot going on in this drink. It's basically like a blue Long Island iced tea because <laughs> it's got everything. Uh, the recipe I found for it has a half ounce vodka, a half ounce rum, a half an ounce of tequila, a half an ounce of gin, a half an ounce of blue curacao, I love blue curacao, two ounces of sweet and sour mix, 
And then you top all that with Sprite or 7-Up on the rocks in a tall glass and garnish with a lemon wedge and a cherry, a preserved cherry. Uh, I would use a, um, probably not a, well, I mean, I think you're probably supposed to use a maraschino. Actually, a maraschino is probably appropriate for this style of drink. But, you know, knowing me, I'd get all fancy and use a Luxardo. I also would love to try making this using citron vodka instead of regular vodka. Uh, I'd probably use silver rum. I might try it with a Reposado tequila. Just a regular gin that doesn't have too much juniper. Um, and then I would love to try making it using Fresca instead of the other variations. But I probably, knowing me, would try and make the most basic classic variation first before I started fucking with it. Um, yeah. And like I said, Luxardo, I mean, Luxardo cherries are just delicious, but sometimes like that just tacky, generic, uh, why can't, am I suddenly blanking on the word? You, you, you know, the, the maraschino cherries, sometimes there's something kind of fun about using those. I don't know. I don't mind them. And then you've got like a stem to sexually play with because, you know, that's what I do is I go to cocktail bars. I order the stupidest cocktail on earth I can, and then I just toy with the cherry stem all night long, attracting suitors left and right, like one does. I don't do that. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> but now I'm gonna. Um, so as I said, I'm not sure that I've had this drink before, actually. But I've got a couple of stories about people and them. Um, well, I guess the other one, the first story is sort of adjacent to it, because, I mean, basically this is a drunk to take you down. Like, there's a reason they call it adios, motherfucker. Um, I mean, the Long Island iced tea was named that innocuous, non-alcoholic name very purposely, I think, by predators, possibly, who want to convince you that you're basically ordering, you know, some iced tea. So basically, uh, maybe like a year or so after I lived in Los Angeles, I had a friend who was like, oh, my friends and I are going to have drinks at this, like, tiny little hotel lounge bar in Beverly Hills. And by tiny, I mean, this place was fucking tiny. And it was Saturday night in Beverly Hills, but there was, like, no one in there. And, of course, she was running, like, an hour late. And the only other people to come in while I was there was with was this youngish guy, I don't know, probably late 20s, early 30s, and an even younger girl. And they're sitting down, and she's like, ah, I don't know what to order. I, just, I don't really drink. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you might like... He's pulling out, pulls out the menu, and he's like, the, the guy she was dating, might like, you know, a martini or a Long Island iced tea, which, so basically he's trying to get her, like, sauced at a hotel. And I think she ended up ordering, like, I don't remember what she ended up ordering, but then I heard, because I was sitting sort of like, they were sitting at one end of the room, and I was sitting at a couch sort of halfway between there and the bar, and I heard him, to the bartender, be like, make hers twice as strong. I was just like, holy fuck, I am watching Date Rape and Play. Ugh, I mean, I hope that's not what it ended up being, but it was just so gross. And I was like, I guess I'm in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> that was experience with the Long Island iced tea, not, um, not an audio motherfucker. The first time I actually heard anyone actually ask for one of those, I used to, my friend Swilman, I used to pour, I would say bartend, but really it was like, we had beer, we had vodka, we had, oh, what was it? Jack Daniels. And then we had like, you know, cranberry and orange juice and diet Coke, um, and Coke mixers basically there so there's this place downtown called hot house productions and they once a month used to have these comedy shows that would actually like they'd bring out some pretty incredible comedians and they were free and like industry people and comedians would come and i loved quote unquote tending bar like i said we were just pouring drinks because a it was an open bar so people would just tip like crazy and they let us we were doing this for free but it was only like a few hours you could kind of hear the comedy going on upstairs, but you just kind of get to like network with all these comedy people that would come through and you're just pouring them drinks and like bantering because, you know, it's not a real bar, so no one's getting like persnickety if they have to wait and it's free. Uh, so, you, you know, you just get to be like trading bits all night long with comedians while pouring them drinks and getting tipped really, really, really well. People just be like, oh yeah, we'll toss a 20 in here. 
Uh, I probably filled people's drink glasses a little too full with vodka sometimes, but you know, we had a lot of good times uh, bartending. Anyway, at some point, some fancy girl came up and she's like, can I get an ADM? And I was like, a what? And she's like, an audience motherfucker. And then I just started laughing because that drink, as you heard, is a little extra. It has like everything in it. And I was like, we have Jack Daniels and we have vodka. <laughs> I can put it all with every mixer in the same glass for you, but we do not have audios, motherfuckers. Anyway, after I finish this podcast, maybe maybe I'll make an audios, motherfucker. Okay, it's time to get into this week's wine, which I'm going to read you sort of the specs on, and then I'm going to go get it out of the fridge and open it. It's sparkling wine, so I wanted to keep it cold. Um, I know I've had Jay Vineyards a couple times on this podcast. I think I actually had the rosé on the very first podcast. I know I've had their Pinot Noir. But I was so kindly given um, from Gallo the Jay Vineyards non-vintage Cuvée 20, which right now is coming in a very handsome, very goth-looking black box for the holidays that when you open on the inside, it says joy in a bottle, which, you know... I haven't drinking it yet, so I'm like, we'll be the judge of that. But based on my experience with Jay, it should be great. I love Jay Vineyards and Winery. Nicole Hitchcock is their winemaker. She's awesome. I really need to have her on the show. Let me let me just read you the specs on this bubbly before I get it going. So let's see. What did they say about the winery? Since 1986, Jay Vineyards and Winery has developed a reputation as one of the top sparkling still wine producers in California. Jay has come to be known for its celebrated estate vineyards, contemporary winery, and world-class hospitality. Winemaker Nicole Hitchcock showcases her expertise and the diversity of California wine-growing regions. You know, before I started studying wine, I'd never heard the term wine-growing but it does conjure up like a cute I, like vision of these vines with just, you know, sprouting little wine bottles. Okay, uh, wine growing regions through a portfolio of high quality still and sparkling wines with distinction. Um, I'm not gonna read you the tasting notes yet because I like to do that after I've applied my own tasting notes to them. Um, let's see, vintage comments. Our signature J. Cuvée 20 non-vintage Brut first created, and by the way, Brut, <clears throat> Knowledge Flex, uh, Brut Wine must be between 0 and 12 grams of residual sugar per liter. Ahem. First created to celebrate our 20th anniversary is a stylish, stylish assemblage from our best cool climate vineyard sites. A winemaking, the grapes for this cuvee were hand harvested into small quarter top bins and placed as whole clusters without destemming into our French cocard press. The French cocard press, by the way, you guys, is a type of, I think it's a type of basket press first invented for making champagne, <clears throat> knowledge flex, uh, okay, for gentle, low-pressure pressing to minimize the breakdown of grape skins and seeds. You know why that is, guys? You do not want that bitter shit in your champagne. Okay. Each vineyard lot was fermented and kept separate until blending. Ultimately, our cuvee was assembled and cold-stabilized. Basically, that means, oh, <laughs> I was about to knowledge flex, and then I realized the sentence... Okay, cold stabilized to remove excess tartrates and then bottled in the spring. Aging. As is customary for traditional method sparkling wine production, the secondary fermentation occurred in the bottle. The wine was aged entourage. Um, that means like on the leaves in our cool cellars for an average of 30 months, developing deeper complexity as the months went by. Bottles were carefully riddled. That's where they very slowly turn a bottle upside down to get all the yeasty stuff into the neck so they can get rid of it. Um, okay, carefully riddled to remove the sediment prior to disgorgement. That was a much simpler way of putting it than what I said. The wine was then aged on the cork before release. On the cork. Does that mean they kept it upside down or is that just a way of them saying in the bottle? Anyway, this is from the Russian River Valley, which is a subregion of Sonoma. It's a 51% Chardonnay, 40% Pinot Noir, 9% Pinot Meunier. Oh, I accidentally just saw the alcohol content. Um, but before, and they also tell you the dose. Okay, I'll read the rest of you that for you later. In the meantime, uh, ooh, and they have some information on the, the back of the box too, but I don't think it's too different from what I just told you. Anyway, um... Let me just, you know, meander over to my fridge. Do you guys feel like you're really with me now? You're walking over to my fridge, you're me open the fridge, you're hearing all the bottles. Basically, my fridge is just, 
full of bottles and condiments, especially now that my pandemic person is here. It's <laughs> just so many condiments and so many bottles of wine. We could live off of hot sauce and wine in my household. Okay, anyway, I have now procured the bottle, which, uh, I don't know, should I pause it while I open it for you, or should you live through the anxiety of me, like, pretending to be on stage while I open this bottle? Let's keep you with me. It's kind of fun. Oh my god, I'm so excited for this wine. It's been in my fridge for probably at least a month now. They sent it to me a while ago, and I was like, I should save that for a podcast. And then I was like, I should save for that for a podcast that I'm, like, celebrating, uh, so yeah, okay, here we go. Ooh, let's pop that bubbly. Let's see how quietly I can do it. That was kind of loud, but ooh. All right, guys. Uh, by the way, I'm pouring these into, I've recently decided that sometimes I use my Zalto, um, universal stems to drink bubbles out of. Sometimes I put them in a burgundy glass just because I'm like that. But I've recently decided that my Riedel <laughs> Syrah glasses, which I, uh, uh, they weren't mine, but they were given to me, or rather someone who had a whole bunch of them was moving and gave me a bunch of them. I still can't quite figure out why they're supposed to be best for Syrah, but um, I think they're like one of the best ways to drink a sparkling wine. They're very long glasses. Uh, much as a flute is long, but picture like a flute that was like three times the width of a normal flute and also that curves in slightly at the top. So I guess not that flute-like at all. Anyway, I feel like my Syrah glasses by Riedel are really good for drinking sparkling wine out of. You'd think I'd had a drink already, by the way. My brain just conked out there. I'm going to cheers you. I'm going to taste this. We're gonna play the game that's not a game, what's in glass, and then we're gonna see what the winemaker says about this. Cheers. Oh, that smells good. Mmm. Oh, guys. You guys. You guys. This is delicious. Oh my god. Okay. So, what do we see? This is like a medium minus gold. I guess I would call it a light gold. Almost a hint of copper in it, but maybe that's just the pink from my lava lamp reflecting into it. I'm not sure. On the nose, it's medium plus intensity. It's very toasty off the bat, but it's like, it's like a dark toast, like a dark bread, like maybe a bread that even had like some pumpernickel in it or something, like a pumpernickel or rye bread. Very, very bready, um, toasty but like it's covered in some kind of jam. Like, oh, it, okay, so this is pumpernickel toast. <laughs> so specific, or dark rye toast <laughs> with uh, cherry preserves. That's what I'm saying off top. Uh, and maybe just like those cherry preserves, whoever made them put some real vanilla bean in them, I think. Oh. Oh my god, and it's just like a little hint of marzipan? Almond? I don't know. Okay, let's take a taste. Mm. Yes, it's medium plus. Alcohol is medium, but you know what, guys? Alcohol is almost, almost, almost always medium on sparkling wine. This one, I did happen to see it's 12.5, so that squarely makes it medium per the Wine Spirit Educational Trust. Um, standards. Oh, I just realized I totally forgot to tell you, you know, all my credits in the intro, but whatever. I'll talk about that more next week because I'm going to talk about the Quartermaster Sommelier scandal next week. Oh, what a scandal. Um, also, now I'm looking at the text sheet. If you, you, you want to know what the titratable acidity is, it's 7.9 grams per liter. If you want to know what the pH is, it's 3.14. And the dosage, which as I said, to be a brute wine must be between 0 and 12 grams per liter. The dosage is 10.5 grams per liter of sugar, residual sugar. Um, okay, so mm, body is medium. That's really creamy. Um, the bubbles, the effervescence of it is, I, I would put it, it, it's like these are creamy, but 
fine, very fine, that creamy bubbles. Um, the flavor intensity is medium plus. You get more, it's a little less pumpernickel-y, a little bit more um, brioche It's still toasty. You definitely still get that cherry jam, but now you're also getting like peach preserves with like a little bit of spice in there. Just like a hint of baking spice. Mm. Hmm. And like preserved lemon. Like lots of preserved and jammed fruits, but like not sweet, but just that kind of thing. Um, a little bit of like creaminess, like someone put a dab of creme fraiche. So you have this piece of delicious toast, the best toast, the heartiest toast, but also like, you know how bread can be hearty, but also magic creamy is the wrong word, but soft. That's what this toast is, but it's also toast. But no, this wine is not crunchy, but like it has the flavors of toast. Okay, you get it? Just go with me on this. It's covered with cherry preserves um, that have been made with a vanilla bean, but there's also like then just a tiny dab of like preserved peach lemon compote. And someone then put a little bit, just a little bit of creme fresh on top. And you are eating this. Hmm. Why are you eating this? At a ball game! Um, no. Perhaps you're drinking it on a couch at a hotel bar in Beverly Hills because you didn't trust, um, <laughs> you didn't trust your date to order your cocktail? I don't know. No, that's not the situation either. I think this is just, this is just wine for friends. Uh, and possibly family. This is wine for everybody. Shit, guys. You know what this is? <laughs> they said it themselves. This is joy in a bottle. I really like this. Uh, I mean, maybe it was like a little bit of like expectations because I've had so many J wines and they're always delicious, but I don't know. I didn't have any expectations the first time I had a J wine and they just continued to make me happy. You do, we want to see, now I'm trying to think like metaphorically. Okay, so this wine is toast with all that stuff on it and you're eating it, you're wearing velvet though. Like it's starting to get fall. This is the perfect fall sparkling wine. Fall into early winter. Actually, it'd be a good Thanksgiving wine. Um, Cause I think it would stand up to some really like flavorful food, but like go well with, I don't know. Um, Okay, let's read what their tasting notes are and see what they say, okay. Uh, elegant and lively, our J Cuvée 20 Brut offers uh, a classic Russian River Valley sparkling, offering a dance of bubbles. Oh, guys, these are not creamy or lively. They're a dance of bubbles. I've never heard a dance used like, you know, it's kind of like a murder of crows. Apparently, when you have a group of bubbles, it is a dance of bubbles. That's I'm like pulling out my pen and circling that because I like that so much. I wonder if I could get them to hire me to write tasting notes for them. Hmm. Maybe I'll ask. Okay. Across a complex palette that ex expertly balances appealing fruit notes, rich nuttiness. Ooh, there's some nuttiness. Um, from years spent aging on leaves and a crisp, clean finish. Cuvée 20 opens with notes of baked apple. Okay. Didn't get that. Baked lemon bar. I mean, I did mention the, the lemon compote. White peach and nectarine did uh, mention those, which is given complexity with hints of creme brulee. Ooh. Toasted chestnut. You guys, I should add chestnuts to my list of things that I just don't even know what they taste like. I'm going to make a note. Hold on. And I'm back. Uh, where was I? Okay, brioche toast and apple pie spice. Apple pie spice. Well, that's when I say baking spice, you know, you're thinking cloves and stuff. Okay, pour a glass and sip alongside black seared cod with caramelized cauliflower and Meyer lemon or poisson with roasted chestnuts and citrus chutney. Wow, these are the most extra pairings. I like, did the person just happen to drink this while eating those things because that's just not the type of i'm like hmm food oh caramelized cauliflower and meyer lemon uh roasted chestnuts and citrus chutney i didn't even have chutney enough okay i need to expand my palate okay for a cheese pairing try camembert with roasted apples and black truffle well i mean come on that sounds great jeez 
Okay, well done. Applause to you. Snap, snap, snaps, because I'm holding my wine glass and I'm not letting it go with the other hand, so I'm snapping. Golf clap. Um, this is really good wine. J Vineyards uh, and Winery, non-vintage Cuvée 20, Woman Winemaker, Delicious Wine Apps, Sonoma Valley. Do it! All right, we have one more segment before our drunk dial. And that is to talk about, because we are getting down to the final few episodes of the Great British Bake Off, or as they call it in the States because of like trademark things from the Pillsbury Bake Off, uh, the Great British Baking Show. And I just kind of wanted to recap everything from the last one I watched because, and just kind of talk about the season in general and make some predictions. And I won't tell you how this last episode turned out. And in fact, because I'm going to talk about the contestants, if you have not started and you don't want to be spoiled um, on who's going to make it at least to to episode, what was it? I think it was episode seven I was on, um, then maybe you don't want to listen. But the thing is, well, here's the thing. When the season started off, um, well, first it felt like a little awkward because they have a new co-host. So there's Noel Fielding, who, God, I fucking love Noel Fielding, not just because he's like a little bit gothy in his own way, um, but because he's like funny and warm-hearted, but also just, he's awesome. Um, he has a new co-host uh, named Matt Lucas, who I don't know him but apparently he's been on a lot of british shows including doctor who so maybe i should uh but i don't know everything things finally seem to be like gelling maybe it was just well you know whenever you work with someone new particularly in entertainment it's probably going to be once in a while there's just like immediate synergy but these two i'm just gonna say the first several episodes just felt like trying a little bit too hard um, but they finally seem to be like kind of finding a groove. Um, uh, the other reason this season, and so your other two, like the two baking judges. So those are the hosts. The judges are Paul Hollywood. Love you, Paul. Want to Paul Hollywood's handshake one of these days. I'll never get one because I will never be on the show and I will never bake anything good enough for you. But I still want to Paul Hollywood handshake. Maybe if I poured him the right wine, I could get one. Um, that sounds like it should be some, like, really, like, a Hollywood handshake really sounds like it's some kind of, like, really kinky sex move. <laughs> okay, um, if you don't message me to tell me what you drank to celebrate the election, message me and tell me what you think a Hollywood handshake would be. Um, anyway, adore you, Paul, you and your sparkly eyes. Adore Prue, Prue Lythe, I don't know how you say her last name, but she does, like, when she was enjoying a dish at one point on an episode this season, they're like, she just had a Prugasm. I was like, oh my. Um, anyway, the first, maybe I am just haven't, it had been, like, too long since I'd watched last season, but the first several episodes of this, I was like, are they picking less good bakers? Because it felt like people were just, like, doing some kind of, like, subpar work. And I've heard people kind of discuss a little bit that it seems like they're kind of trying a little bit harder to get, like, the pretty people. So I was like, oh, are they favoring looks over baking talent a little bit more? I don't know. Um, but, like, maybe it's just because those were the first several episodes. Maybe I need to rewatch. Maybe I just have to. Oh, my God, it'll be so hard because I hate the show so much, but I just have to rewatch every season and see... <laughs> how it started and how it ended. Um, it's been an interesting season. It's not been without controversy. One uh, one of their baking tasks for bread week, I think it was, was to make rainbow bagels, which then like people got mad because they didn't mention that like rainbow is like a gay pride symbol. Um, I thought it was a very weird choice to assign people regardless. Uh, it's been an interesting season, though. They keep coming up with sort of new themes. There was a Japanese week. I was like, that's cool. I don't think they had one of those before. I did not fact check that, but I don't remember seeing one before. Um, anyway, the episode that I'm particularly going to go into with you is their 1980s week, which I was like, off the bat, I wasn't sure. I was like, what are 1980s foods? I was like, are they going to require the bakers? And these are bakers, not soda crafters. So I don't know why. But I was like, are they going to make them recreate the new Coke? I don't know. I'm a kid who grew up uh, at least the first, like, you know, decade. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was born in the 80s. 
I lived a chunk of my life in them. I definitely wasn't like one of the, okay, so now I'm just going to get into the, uh, telling you about the people that were still on the show when I tuned in this week. Um, because one of them definitely was someone who was like, oh, you were a teenager during the 80s. Because I know, because uh, I forget if it was Paul Hollywood or if it was Noel, but he, or maybe it was Matt comes over and he's like, so what, what were you listening to in those days? And Mark, Mark with the C, I was like, oh, Transvision Vamp. And I haven't looked it up yet, but I was like, is that a style of 80s music? Because it kind of sounds like it could be Transvision Vamp. I'm guessing it's a band. I don't know. Anyway, Mark, he's one of the older ones. He's got silver hair. With, like He's very, he's like, I wouldn't call him jovial, but he's warm-hearted. You, you can tell. And he has very pretty blue eyes. Which brings me to Peter, who's the youngin. He's the jerk who's like, huh, well, you know. Uh, I mean, Peter, I don't think is even 21. No, he's got to be at least, I don't know. He uses booze in his dessert sometimes, but like in Europe, you can drink younger. I'm not sure what age he is exactly, but he's like maybe 20. I don't know. Um, anyway, he's like, oh yeah, well the eighties came like right after medieval history for me. He also has very pretty blue eyes. I'm like, is that because Paul, uh, Hollywood also has pretty blue eyes. I'm like, is this something that can get you on the show? So those are two of the people that were on this episode. There's also uh, Hermine, Hermine, wait, am I saying her name wrong? Uh, Hermine, it's H-E-R-M-I-N-E. I think it's her, Hermine, Hermione, I think Hermine. Uh, I love her. She has like a confidence about her where, but it's like not like boisterous confidence. It's just kind of like, like she doubts herself like any good Brit, <laughs> like any good British person does, she doubts herself. But then she goes on and like makes what she makes. Uh, I also like that she just is like thinks she's being cheeky, but it's like so Britishly cheeky. Like she was cooking the stuff for uh, one of the categories, and she's like, "I probably love cooking more than baking." <laughs> and she like cackles because she's on a baking show, not a cooking show. It's like, "Oh, I love you, Harmine." Uh, there's also Lottie, who is like. She's very pretty. I think she's maybe 30. She's very pretty. She has dark eyeliner. She seems kind of goth adjacent. She has cool ideas. I like Lottie. Um, Laura is either like, oh my God, she's so like, she's really doing well or she's not. Her personality, she seems very warm, but she seems shy. Um, I like Laura. I'm rooting for Laura. Uh, let's see. Is that all? Did I tell you about Dave? Dave is, I, uh, maybe I didn't yet. Uh, Dave, he's like a, a younger, slim fellow. Um, he's handsome. He's kind of serious, but then he takes some risks from time to time. So every show, there's a signature uh, challenge where like they're given a category and they have to sort of put their own spin on it. There's a technical challenge where they're given a recipe for like a technical thing in the category, but like it's always a very vague recipe apparently. And the judges, blind judge, they, they taste everything without knowing who made it. And then there's the showstopper, which is kind of the contestant uh, time to show off. So I, as I said, I was like, what the hell is AV's cuisine? Are they going to have to reinvent the new Coke? Which if you guys don't remember the new Coke, good because it didn't last long and apparently it wasn't good i don't remember i probably tasted it but i was really young when that came out um so the first thing they chose the category the food they chose for the signature challenge was quiche and i was like how i th i think of quiches well a who doesn't like quiche i still make it my friends still make it people still eat it everywhere i thought it was more of a like um something that would come uh, like with julia child's like uh for i thought of it more it's more of a 60s food not an 80s food but whatever um the standouts of the things the contestants in, uh, in, invented for this so dave uh pretty dave um with his sort of miss ideas he wanted to make an english breakfast quiche and he put scrambled eggs in a quiche which i'm like offhand i hear that and I'm like, I don't think that's going to work. But also, I just like, I applaud it. <laughs> like, I just fucking applaud that. Like, scrambled eggs in a quiche. Uh, that's like, 
being like, I'm going to put some peanut brittle in my peanut butter. And you know what? That sounds fucking delicious. So why not try that? Um, <laughs> I'm going to try not to tell you too much how things turned out in case you didn't watch the show. I'm just going to give you a few things here and there. Uh, Lottie, she, her quiche just sounded really cool. She had a summer salad one that had beetroot, as the Brits call it, which is, you know, beets, um, goat cheese and thyme. I'm not sure why that's a summer salad. I thought it beats as a winter thing. Uh, but apparently in Great Britain, maybe it, it constitutes summer salad. She also had, she, like uh, Dave, they wanted to make a English breakfast uh, quiche. And hers included baked beans, which I'm like, that does not sound good in the quiche. Sausage and black pudding. So apparently I, I that mostly just sounds very meaty. Uh her mind, I she did like a classic shiitake and spinach thing, which I was like, yeah, just go classic. Anyway, um, so that was the uh, signature challenge. So then you, you had the, uh, <clears throat> excuse my shuffling papers, you have your technical challenge, which for some reason they thought donuts are an 80s thing. I was like, donuts have been around forever, like, I mean... Café du Monde, haven't they been making beignet, which is a type of donut, like, forever? Why are donuts 80s? I don't know. And also, they wanted them to make a custard-filled, jam-topped finger donut. Um, and the thing is, it seemed, like, really unfair of them to ask people. Actually, this and the showstopper seemed, which was an ice cream cake, seemed very unfair to ask of people. And, like, really, apparently it was like, I don't know what. Uh, I didn't do the Celsius conversion, but I'm guessing it was around like 90, 100 degrees in that tent. Um, the problem with mo most people didn't do very well on the donuts. Apparently, it was like everything was over fried. And it's like, well, yeah, it's that fucking hot. Um, anyway, the showstopper challenge was an ice cream cake, which I was like, okay, out of all those, if I was going to call something 80s, maybe just because I remember people having it at birthday parties, I was like, I guess that's 80s. Maybe that was the first time people were making ice cream cake. I have never liked ice cream cakes because you know what? I feel like the texture is like the, I mean, I like most things cold, but like a spongy cake just against, like it loses flavor against the frozen ice cream. I just, none of it seems to gel together well. I've never particularly liked an ice cream cake. Uh, but the contestants had some interesting takes on it. Dave made it tiramisu ice cream cake which had like coffee ice cream and almond liqueur soaked sponge. And I'm like, okay, cool. Also, I've never really liked tiramisu because it, to me, like I'm a big texture person. Rarely have I had a tiramisu that just didn't seem like overly weirdly textured uh, wrong. I, I don't know. Um, Hermine, um, hers was really simple. She excels at the simple. It was a... She's like, I'm bringing the sunshine with some mango. So she had it had like a buttery shortbread based cake to it and coconut and mango ice cream. Uh, I don't like coconut or mango. So I, I just find it impossible to have an opinion on this. Laura had a death by chocolate ice cream cake, which I was like, how goth of you? Uh, it involved like salted praline ice cream, which I'm like, that sounds good. And a, a brownie ice cream. Um, uh, there was chocolate uh, grenache frosting. Like it sounded, it sounded pretty good. Uh, Mark had this retro ice cream parlor cake, which looked amazing. Like it didn't sound like something I particularly wanted to eat. It had a honey hazelnut ice cream, a butterscotch pecan ice cream, blackberry mousse. Um, but the outside, the sponge cake that like went around the outside, he somehow ornately made it look striped like it had this very old-fashioned ice cream parlor look to it it was spectacular don't know that i'd want to eat it but it looked good um the runner-up for things i'd want to eat were peter and his christmas cake which was like covered in marzipan it had a brandy ice cream um a brandy snap an ice cream uh a christmas ice or uh, like a christmas cake like a, it just, I, all those flavors, marzipan, the spiciness, like, uh, look up Christmas pudding, um, like, British Christmas pudding, and you'll see all the different flavors. I, as much as I love wine and uh, spirits, I'm hit or miss about them in my desserts, but this one sounded really good. The one that I was most excited for that I thought sounded coolest was Lottie's idea for the 80s. It was Lottie's cassette cape, uh, cassette 
tape, <laughs> cassette cake, cassette, uh, yeah, anyway, you know what I mean. Um, and it, it sadly, it, it was gonna, uh, it sounded so cool. It's like coated in chocolate ice cream, which you're miss on that still. Um, it had a chocolate puffed rice cake. It had cherry jelly. It had blackberry mousse. It just didn't end up looking that great. Like it did not look like a cool cassette tape, which is how she wanted it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how all these things actually turned out. I'm just going to tell you my predictions, which basically I think it will come down to being between Peter and Hermione because they are the most consistent. Hermione, she, like, what she, I'm so sorry. I've been watching this show. I've heard them say her name a million times, and the way my neighbor, my, my, my memory is, I'm like, how do you say her name? Anyway, um, she's very good at, she's not scared to keep things simple, but she makes them so good you don't realize they're simple because they're just exceptional. They're just beautiful. And I like that confidence, and I like that she, you know, they say you can tell someone's a good chef if they, I forget what the three things are. I think one is like an omelet, which seems simple, but it's not. One is like roasted chicken. There, there's a couple things that people say they can tell if you're a really good cook, if you can make them well. But then there's Peter who does, but he's so young. Um, and I think sometimes maybe he pushes the boundaries, uh, maybe a little too much, but maybe that'll get him ahead. Like if he had to be boiled down to doing simple things, would he do as well as Hermione? I don't know. I kind of like, not worry, but I'm like, maybe his youth will push through and they'll be like, we're going to go with this guy who takes these chances, but maybe, maybe just, you know, old fashioned doing really good things simply will win. I'm not sure. Anyway, that was my latest. I'm like, should I do a separate pod? Should I start doing a separate podcast? Just recapping the great British Bake Off. I'm sure like probably 20 people already do. <sighs> it's a crowded world guys. So speaking of crowded worlds, uh, worlds full of people doing podcasts, uh, let's just move on to the drunk dial. Uh, like I said, I was on his podcast, Pairs with Life. He's got a book called Pairs with Life. I was very excited to have him answer all my final five questions. So you guys, I will see you hopefully next week for another wine situation. In the meantime, please enjoying, uh, enjoying. I haven't even had that much to drink. I'm just like, I'm like high on life. I'm so tired. This election just took it out of me. I'm still tired from anxiety over the election, even though things turned out well. Um, please enjoy this chat I had with John Taylor from the Pairs with Life podcast. Cheers. John, welcome to the show. Fantastic to be here, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me on. This is good. This is good. I like this cross podcasting thing. Um, you guys really do have to go listen to the to the goth episode I did of, of his show. It it was a lot of fun. That um, was that was great fun and some great wine too and some great songs. So I mean, oh my great god, it was songs. so fun listening. <laughs> you really you can't yeah. expect more in life these days than good wine and good music and like good people. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, if you are ready, then shall we get into the final five? I am up for it. Bring it on. All right. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. Question number one, super tricky, trips people up all the time. It's just, uh, what you drinking these days? What are you into? What are you enjoying? Oh, boy. That is a really good question, isn't it? Um, (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) I am, you know, I'm really, it's like I fluctuate back and forth. It's like, um, right now, uh, in the in the boomerang of drinking, I am <laughs> into experimental white wines, like alternative whites. I know that's really just a, a, a terrible uh, phrase <laughs> way of putting it, alternative whites. But um, I, I that that's where I am in my current boomerang is I'm drinking, you know, Albarino, Tarantis, um, any kind. Those are considered of, alternative whites. Like oh yeah, I mean I I so I work in Napa. So basically anything not it, Chardonnay. <laughs> you got it. If it's not Chardonnay and it's not Sauvignon Blanc and it's not Pinot Grigio, it's alternative. Gotcha. I mean that's yeah that's how that's how cis we get over here in uh in in, in our whites. So, um, 
any kind of um, obscure Rhone varietal. I've been like oh, drinking. Bring on the Roussan. Yeah. Yes, and the Viognier and the the Bourbonlanc. And, oh my gosh, uh, where do you find single varietals of Bourbonlanc? <laughs> um, Acquiesce Winery. Acquiesce what? Winery in Lodi does oh. one of the nation's only single varietal Bourbonlancs. And it is amazing. I love it. It, it, it has um, all the all the great things that you love about a Viognier. Only it's a little bit lighter and has a little less of the viscosity to it. And so yeah, so I will do that for a while longer. And I'll be like, oh god, I want to drink some reds now. And then I'll probably go back to like some pretty classic reds. And then I'll get all reactionary to that. <laughs> and start doing alternative reds, and I'll get all reactionary to that. And go back to some straight white. So I just, yeah. I'm sort of and then you realize it's seven this. o'clock in time to make dinner station for the stuff. Very good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that's when I'm, Fun. yeah, uh, that's what I'm drinking now. And I know that with the change of the weather and the seasons and stuff, you know, that I'll probably have to get away from the whites, but. um you know, I just oh I'm, no 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 don't say I'm, that I'm working on an article on winter whites <laughs> you got to have those year oh, round nice. oh um, good 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 I I feel the same way you know and I I just I kind of into you know just the lighter lighter wines these days old world hmm. style wines lower alcohol all of that um yeah and I hope that's very just not cool. a sign of growing old but just <laughs> you know. no I think it's very <laughs> hip right now uh to, to like the lighter ones the chillable reds and such I, I think I think you're right on on trends there oh uh, good all right <laughs> okay question it. number two uh which is a standard question I tend to ask people in the final five uh is but it goes very well with you and well, we'll get deeper, but uh, it's just basically, uh, what's one of the most unusual or just favorite pairings you've ever had? It can be any kind of food, yeah. any kind of drink, any kind of wine doesn't even have to, or any kind of, any kind of food, any kind of drink doesn't even have to be wine. Got it. Oh, okay. Um, ooh. Well, uh, okay. Um. So I know that wine and cheese is like, you know, the typical right down the middle homogenized pairing of all time. Uh, but I've been really into making my own macaroni and cheese recently. All right. Oh wow. So yeah. Like the baked so start with a roux, or like, the okay. like, no, like like from scratch, you start with a roux, you know, you put in your butter yeah. and your flour and then you mix in your milk and now you've got your base and then you just start putting in all kinds of weird ass cheese. And <laughs> not weird, not weird ass cheese, but weird no, ass cheese. No, don't that. Right? That would be a bad plan. Yeah, it'd be uh, bad. Uh, yeah, nothing pairs with that. So um, yeah, yeah so I'm like, <laughs> not even. One. Okay, so um, you know, tonight I'm gonna put in some like some gruyere and some cheddar, and then oh, okay, well the next time I'm gonna put in like some brie and some blue cheese. Okay, so it's it's all deliciously creamy and yummy and 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 crazy. And then I'm pairing up, you know, these alternative whites with them and seeing which ones have, you know, the right acid and the right, um, uh, you know, oomph to cut through this really decadent cheese thing that's happening. Oh, that so, sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, 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 in that respect, you know, my cat is freaking out again. Can you hear my cat in the background, Jess? She's like, cheese, cheese? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, um, the, the, those Southern Rhone varietals, um, you know, they were talking about earlier, those really mm -hmm. work with your homemade mac and cheese. Really? And, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I don't stray far from the whole elbow pasta thing. Um, you know, sometimes I'll do rigatoni or, or something crazy like that. You but, know, um, I think elbow pasta is like really to me, along with penne, one of the most inferior pasta shapes out there, in my opinion. <laughs> 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 Not to be snobbed, but... <laughs> so, so you know, bring yeah, on the, the yeah. rotini and the wait, is that what's called rotini? Those spirally ones. Rotini. Well, that's, well, yeah, when, exactly. When I the tube, the tube, yeah. One. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, rigatoni and rotini. Exactly. Yeah. And especially if you're doing like a bake, like you're going to put all this gooey cheese on it, and then you're going to slap some more cheese on top and throw it in a broiler for a little while. Oh, hell yeah. So, yeah, big, like, yeah, so these whites that have big acid, you know, and again, going like to Spanish varietals or even a vino verde. Oh, I love vino oh, yeah. verde with mac and cheese um, I, because, you know, it has a certain effervescence to it, you know? Um, yeah. And, oh, no, I, I'm a big proponent of, of that wine, and not just because I went there last year. I'm, like, obsessed ever since. Oh. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's uh, move on to question number three, which uh, I'm just, I'm, because every, I'm obsessed with pairing myself to the fact that you had like a podcast called Pairs with Life. Uh, sometimes on the wine situation, I do um, a segment called, hold on just a sec. Can you turn the sink off? It's noisy. Okay, sorry. How, noisy in my house. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have a cat. I have a thing. Um, gotcha. Uh, so I, sometimes I do a segment, uh, where it's called just add wine where I'm like, Oh, let's contemplate this situation in life. And then you add wine to it. So like one week it was hiking, one week it was baseball. Is there any kind of like life situation you can think of where, you know, you don't normally think there's going to be wine there, but when you do have wine there, it's like pretty cool. Sorry. Absolutely. This is kind of a tr tricky one. <laughs> okay. So what situation in my life goes best with with wine that when when you don't expect it's going to be there? Right. Ah. Uh, well, you see that's a tough question because I drink all the time. So oh. it's hard to imagine a situation when No, no I don't I don't want to come across as Mr. Alcoholic, but uh Just add wine to your uh, coffee. Yeah. Exactly. No. Exactly. Now you look at my desk. There's like you see the coffee cup, the water bottle, and then the old wine glass. It's like, oh, that's my day right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, ah, adding wine, you know, adding wine to an argument with your girlfriend is that's a good one because oh. it's a great excuse to sort of leave the situation for a moment and do something that's construed as nice. Like, you know what? Hey, before. We talk about my inability to express my feelings through a text <laughs> message for the 47th time. Why don't I get up and get us some wine? Um, you, you know, this is a really good tactic. I think I maybe it's a wine person thing, but I'm pretty sure I employ this tactic a lot too. <laughs> it's like, but wait, I have wine. <laughs> Yeah, and you got to do it right. You've got to, you've got, it's got to come across as you're doing this really cool, polite, uh, right, kind right. of thing, and not this. Yeah. I need to get the hell out of this circumstance. <laughs> I need to get some alcohol in my brain because you're driving me freaking nuts. It, it can't come across that way. Um, right. But that's that's always a good pairing, and of course, it gets the conversation, you know, really flowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say, and I, I'd say that's the one I've been using most often, actually. Nice, nice. Okay, um, and just because I'm on, like, uh, um, uh, because you're a, a, a writer and you have written a book about wine, besides your own book, uh, question number four is, like, do you have a favorite wine book? A favorite wine book? Um, yeah. Huh. Boy, there'd have to be a couple, but I think um, The Judgment of Paris is just a really good one. Um, oh, I haven't read that terms, one. Yeah, in terms of, like, you know, nonfiction wine books um, that aren't, you know, hey, here's a list of 500 wines and their characteristics and where they grow and, you know, all these kinds of things that put you straight to sleep. It's just a great telling of the – you know, of the judgment in Paris in 1976 that put, you know, Napa Valley on the map, um, and, you know, as a legit wine region. So that's a really good one. Um, fiction books, of course, Sideways. Sideways is the classic. Um, oh, I have not read that realize, one either. Yeah, some people don't realize, realize that Sideways was a book first before it was anything else. And yeah. uh, it's actually a really well-written book. And so that's a good read. Um, and then, um, in terms of specific 
Uh, wine region books. Uh, Kathleen Wilcox's. Uh, I'm going to get the title wrong, but it's basically a guide to Hudson Valley wines in New oh. York. Yeah, cool. by Kathleen Wilcox. I think a guide to Hudson Valley wine or Hudson Valley something something. But it's yeah, Hudson Valley by Kathleen Wilcox. And what's great about it is like you would be. A lot of these books you read about, you know, regional wine areas and stuff like that can be really dry and really, you know, just too informative and not, you know, there's nothing compelling about it. And yeah. she pulls it off. She pulls off a really compelling book about why these wines are so interesting and different and what makes this region, you know, great and beautiful and, and wonderful for growing wine. And, you know, for it just really stood out to me, and, and I like that one a lot. Nice. Cool. Yeah. I now have uh, three new books on my to-read list. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, and the last question, standard question we've asked since then I say we, as though I still had a co-host, which I don't, but that's okay. I'll be a royal <laughs> we. Um, last question we have always asked people is uh, just what's bringing you some joy these days? Oh, what is bringing me joy these days? Um, a couple of things. Um, music is bringing me joy again, which is which is great. I wasn't actually playing music for a while because I was always in a band with my brother, and my brother was off in Maui for the last ten years. Um, oh wow! And then yeah, then he finally moved back here to the Bay Area. And he's got the true calling. So, like, the moment he got here, he was like, all right, we're putting the band back together. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'm in. And so, awesome. uh, yeah, so we get together once a week, sometimes twice a week, you know, to play and practice and write and do all that stuff. And so, um, you know, it's a, I, I hadn't, like I said, I hadn't been doing it for about 10 years, not like this. Wow. And so to be doing it again and feeling that part of my brain, like get exercised again. And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that is bringing me uh, great joy. Um, and I have two young daughters um, who are bringing me great joy, even though, you know, they're um, even though sometimes they don't, <laughs> but just, just the process. How old process are they? Of, uh, nine and 11. Okay. Um, yeah. And so just the process of like, um, well, first of all, I, I just, I've never had this much estrogen in my life uh, ever, right? So I'm just from, I'm from a family of boys, five generations of men all down my side of the family, you know? So yeah. um, it's just so that's a completely gonna be a whole different. New, whole new deal. Yes. Exactly. It's a whole new deal. Know, it's a whole new experience. If they give you too much trouble, you just say, look, why don't I pour you some wine? No, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get them going. No. Well, I was hoping my 11-year-old would be the world's youngest sommelier. She, uh, you know, she really got going at an early age oh. and was really good at, like, smelling wine and coming up with these incredibly bizarre descriptors <laughs> for it. And uh, like, oh my God, she's got a natural talent. That's that's, that's awesome. Uh, Very cool. So, yeah. So those things are 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 bringing me joy in an <laughs> otherwise really difficult period of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like these days feel a little weird asking people that because I'm like. Is this a, but I mean, it's better than like, what's making you miserable? Because we can all talk yeah. about that all day long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was like, what, is this some kind of trick question? What, what the hell are you talking yeah, right. about? Yeah. <laughs> Am yeah. I allowed to have joy? <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> not in 2020. This word you no. use, I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> cool. Well, before I let you go, uh, do you want to, you know, tell people where to find you, where to find your book, where to find your podcast, all that good stuff. All that great stuff. Yes, I will pimp myself right now. So yes, you can find my podcast called Pairs with Life at uh, on all the on all the formats, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, whatever. Or you can just go straight to pairswithlife.net net pairswithlife.net and you can find the podcast there you can also find my book there uh my book is called pairs with life oh my god how crazy is that <laughs> um 
And uh, it's also available at all online bookstores everywhere, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. You can go to IndieBound and order it from any indie bookstore across the country and have it shipped to you. Uh, so that's cool. So if you want to support your local bookstore, always up for that. So go to IndieBound uh, for that. Um, yeah, so uh, that's the book and, and the podcast. And, you know, uh, I, I won't go into the uh, T-shirts or the Mary Kay cosmetics. So I'll show you that. <laughs> Oh, come on. Where's the pairs with life mascara? I need it. Um. Oh, yeah. And, and the new one, pairs with herbal life. So it's, you know, I cover two birds. Oh, of no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, yeah. when pandemic is over, we're going to be at a Bauhaus concert. Uh, yeah. Some canned wine and... Uh, I will I will look forward to that someday. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well. This is a blast. Thank you for having me, Ellen. Really, really appreciate it. It's always a blast to talk to you. Awesome. Well, I will hopefully talk to you soon then. Okay, you take care. Thanks again. <laughs> you too. Cheers. Glass. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with my I just drink wine. I don't fuck with many names. I just drink wine. Just drink wine. Give me red, white, or say, don't touch me, motherfucker. I'm a Somaliite. This has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.